From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Madison Knudsen. This is Film Club, a podcast series where our youth film critics and cultural connoisseurs spill the theoretical tea on a new movie. So these are spoiler-filled conversations, folks. If you haven't seen the movie they're talking about, be prepared to learn far more about them than the trailers will tell you. For this episode, we're talking about the new movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, also known as Daniels. When it premiered at the South by Southwest Festival this spring, it was described as a hilarious and big-hearted sci-fi action adventure about an exhausted Chinese-American woman who can't seem to finish her taxes. Hong Kong action star Michelle Yeoh plays that exhausted woman who, in struggling with a tax audit, gets taken on a wild journey through the multiverse. Our youth film critics got together to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once, how it uses maximalism to tell its story, its unique approach to the multiverse, and the legacy they hope the movie will have. Here's their discussion, led by Zin Rogers. Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Everything, Everywhere, All at Once roundtable. Could we start by introducing ourselves in our like a one sentence statement about our feelings about the movie. I'll start. I'm Zen, and I really loved it. Not much more to say than that. Hi, I'm Daisy, and I am probably the only person who did not cry in this entire movie. Hi, I'm Jeremiah. This is now my favorite movie, and I've seen it four times. Hello, I am Ormond. I also did not cry. I thought in one word, it was bizarre. In two words, it was very bizarre. Uh, yeah, so to dive into it, uh, I think we can all, I imagine we're all in agreement that everything, everywhere, all at once is a very over-the-top kind of movie. Uh, it uses maximalism to a, a very extreme level to tell its story. Uh, so how do we all think, do we think that the movie uses that maximalism, that over-the-topness in an effective way or in an impactful way more so? Absolutely. So something going into it that I was really nervous about was that I'm, I'm kind of dumb. So for some movies, I, I just don't get it. And like I can't like for um, um, Christopher Nolan movies, like I, I can't get it. I watched Inception. I, I just couldn't like wrap my head around what was happening and I just couldn't get into the story. And that's what I was really nervous about for this movie. Thankfully, I was like completely for it. And I understood everything, what was happening. Like in some movies, when they do um, like callbacks to stuff, they're like, oh, like, hey, do you remember this? Or like, oh, do you like they explicitly tell you. But I liked how for some of the callback moments, they didn't tell you. Like you, the audience just kind of knew. And I was really happy with that. Um, for the extremism, I thought it really helped it. Because I think with this whole concept of multiverses and like multidimensional or multi-universal subjects, like there are going to be universes where there's no milk. There are going to be universes where you have like sausage fingers, like that's going to happen. Like, and I think that if you didn't do that, it would, it would be criminal. Yeah. I think, um, using maximalism um, when making a movie about the multiverse just makes sense. And I love that it's a maximalist movie um, because it just, it has so many different meanings um, and it's not just one thing. And it could be literally so many different things um, and all of the 
different meanings for it can be true at the same time because it's everything everywhere all at once. That's a very fitting title. I thought it was used very effectively. And I think that's because of a, of a theory that's been around for a long time. And that is that we tend to look down on certain animals or even certain types of people. But we forget that not only are they different, but also we're different. And that's how we feel about aliens. That's how we feel about, I think, the universe is in this movie. I think that's how the cast feels from at least the, the dimension before all the other ones were brought up because, yeah, they look ridiculous to us because we're not in that universe. And I think they, in those alternate universes, feel the same about us. They think that we're weird. And that's okay because you can be weird and you can be accepted. And that was shown, I think, very effectively in this movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, but to continue on that same note about maximalism and how it uses it to illustrate uh, themes like Orman was talking about, or just the emotions of the film, it's also ambitious in a lot of other ways um, in regards to its special effects and uh, storytelling, especially for the size of the movie. I mean, it switches between so many different genres at a very rapid pace. I'm assuming you all are in agreement with me that it does that very well, but Let's kind of uh, talk about that and how other movies really uh, can use multiple genres and really push beyond what they, what we should think they should be able to do to achieve stuff in the way that this movie did. I thought it was done really well. Um, I think it's funny. I think it delved into a lot of like themes visually, but also like it stayed with the main theme of like this generational trauma, which we've seen a lot like now in like a bunch of other movies. And I'm really happy that we're like getting to see that. Yeah. I think, um, again, just like the maximalism of it, I, I think it works perfectly for a movie about the multiverse. It just makes sense to me. And it also makes sense to me in the way that our lives, the real world, we live in multiple different genres, you know, like, I don't know how to uh, word that any better than that, but I I feel like they really did a great thing with that. And I feel like more movies and TV shows and media in general should mix genres because it just makes sense to me. I don't like it when things are just one thing. It feels really static to me. And so this movie felt really well-rounded and dynamic in a way that just made sense for my brain. And I, I really enjoyed it. To kind of piggyback off of like Jeremiah's point that like you like multiple like genres. I think that that's like like genres like in a in a media. I think that's so like that's right. But also you have to keep in mind that I'm pretty sure movies have tried to do that in the past and they've just kind of like flopped a little bit or just kind of have not hit the mark. So honestly, I'm I'm not a film bro. I don't know how like they technically did it, but I. I can definitely see how like this is a good version of how to include multiple like genres and themes into a movie rather than like have a bad and a bad, bad version of that. Yeah, there's definitely a way that you could mess that up, um, I'm sure. But I feel like they really did a good job. I agree with Jeremiah as well. I think uh, the multiple universes, the genres were explored pretty well. In fact, 
I really don't like when something is introduced just for the sake of it being there, not even for comedy, but just for randomness. And that's very hypocritical coming from me, a person who thinks that random can equal funny. But that's not what happened either. There's always a twist in each universe. You think it's there just randomly, but then it turns out actually they're they're very significant within the universe and even within the movie's multiverse. And it's quite beautiful is what it is. Yeah, totally. And I mean, on that note, too, of it introducing all these seemingly random things that come together, the film also does a lot of referential stuff, kind of in the same vein as directors like Edgar Wright or Quentin Tarantino, but with its own twist on it. How do you, uh, how, how do you all feel that how well the film managed to use those references and maybe talk about your favorite ones and how they were implemented into the film, uh, i.e. the Rakakuni or the Wong Kar Wai illusions and so on? If I'm being honest, I only recognize the the, the, the Rakakuni. <laughs> that was a very good one. That was might might have been my favorite. It was just so funny and just so random. And coming from somebody, um, coming from a family who is like bilingual and like some words like sound differently um in English and in Spanish, I really liked the Rakakuni. Like, I don't know, it like really made my heart smile because I know I know there are some words that my aunts like can't really say correctly, but like it just makes sense. So yeah, I thought that was really funny. I also liked the Rakakuni one. It was when I first saw that it was just the chef universe. I thought that was just gonna be just the main character as a chef, but no, it got it got much better. It got so much better. Yeah. One of my favorite, my personal favorite parts in the movie, and something I want to discuss with y'all is how. Every single one of these, as Orman said earlier, seemingly random stories all had their own, in their own way, unique thematic arcs and stories that kind of ended up combining to create this sort of complete multiverse story where every piece of the multiverse interconnected around the central narrative, which that's not actually something I guess that can really be discussed. I just thought it was really cool. I thought it was really cool how they would use that to transition a scene sometimes. Like, um, for example, there is a point where Evelyn uh, stabs Waymond and we see in another universe, like right after that, that's when she hands him the divorce papers that she signed. And that, ooh, that hit me hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I loved how there was all those sorts of things and then how at the end they all came together into that the whole like cacophony of different multiverses and all the arcs being res resolved in the sausage finger one the one where he gets stabbed and the one where she became famous on march the kung fu universe how they all resolve together in such uh, a cacophonous and exciting way i think one of my favorite things about um or like themes i guess from this movie was when um was when in the beginning I can't remember who says it but um but the husband tells the main character like you are like like the biggest like disappointment out of all of the other universes like you're the one who's like done like the least and I really liked how like that is where how we like started out but then by the end we realized like that that was like where she ideally should have been the happiest because she was with like her husband and she was you know like in this laundry business because in all these other universes like she didn't go with him and she ended up like 
like being sad because she wasn't with them. So I really liked that. Um, yeah, that was something that I liked that kind of like wrapped up around. Okay, uh, let's. I'm gonna change the subject. The, the yeah, the subject a little bit, um, and just talk uh, so we can talk about some of the more technical aspects of the film that I think are really cool. Namely, that the entire visual effects team was made up of just five people headed by their visual effects director who had never worked in VFX before, which I think is super, super cool and super impressive. Um, and I also think that for a film with as, as small of a film as this is to get away with so much, especially with such a small team, what do we think this, that, that, that heralds for the future of medium and small budget films that wanna maybe push the boundaries a little bit more like this? That is crazy. I did not know that there were only like five people. It was funny. Like as I, we were going, like watching the movie, I was like, dang, like they, th these people should get a way bigger paycheck. Like, this is amazing. Like, oh my gosh. Um, I think that's, that's awesome. And I think this film, and I think a lot of like lower budget films are getting recognized more. I mean, like, I hope they get recognized more because, you know, like, with sheer passion like not even with a paycheck like with sheer passion like people made this film like what it is and you can see that through the vfx and through um through the, the storytelling and i've been seeing a lot more like projects like off of like media stuff like getting um a lot better like and i think that it's important that you know we give um, people more money to do these like really cool and intense um, VFX stuff. Only five people. That is insane to me. I had no idea. That's crazy. There were a lot of um, uh, practical effects too. Like, um, uh, I, oh, I remember learning. Um, I, I did. Uh, I, I did a little bit of a Tumblr deep dive. <laughs> like after I watched this movie for the first time, I went on Tumblr and I like looked through the tag. To like find out more about this movie that's how i process things that i watch i remember learning that the the security guards were all stuntmen um and they weren't necessarily actors they were just stuntmen and i thought that was really cool yeah that is cool i agree you would never know that because they're very talented and so kind of staying within more technical aspects but moving away from vfx because i mean what else are we going to say other than wow that's really impressive and really cool uh, let's talk about some of the performances. Um, there's obviously uh, Kehu Kwan's return to the big screen after The Goonies and one of the Indiana Jones being his last films. But then Michelle Yeoh is in another American film, uh, her first since Crazy Rich Asians, I believe. And then there's some fun surprise showing ups of Jamie Lee Curtis, Jenny Slate, so on. What did we think of the performances? Maybe what were some really funny cameos or smaller supporting parts and also the lead performances i liked the ability i liked the ability that the husband and father had to just change personalities entirely in such a small amount of time not everyone could do that so i thought that was I thought that was pretty good pretty good performance yeah kehu kwan was really really good uh and i think it's very cool that this was his first film performance in over 20 years. He hadn't been uh, in a Hollywood movie since he was a kid. Yeah, and that was because like, uh, I just watched an interview 
with the, the cast and he was talking about how um, there just wasn't any roles for him. And that's the reason he hadn't been anything for so long. He kind of just like stopped acting because he wasn't getting any calls. He would get like one call for an audition every six months or a year. And that's really sad to hear because we could have been like seeing him acting and doing these amazing parts for decades now, but he didn't have the opportunity to, but then he saw Crazy Rich Asians and he decided to get back into acting. And he said like two weeks later, like he talked to like a, a, an agent friend, I, I believe. Um, and then like two weeks later, he got the call for this movie. Yeah, I I think um, that was also the story of the main actress. I'm sorry, I don't know what, what her name is. Uh, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I saw um, from her Michelle Yeoh, um, I, saw, I saw a similar interview where she like took a look at the script and like started crying because she was like, wow, like this is like, I'm not playing like any minority character. I'm not playing any like exotic character. Like I'm just playing like a parent who wants like her child to be better. Um, and, and I thought that was, that was really amazing. And yeah, I mean, racism in Hollywood, nothing new. It's, it, it's going to continue. It has continued. Um, but I think films like these are hopefully gonna change it I mean like I'm not like holding my breath that it's gonna change drastically like overnight but um and I think what I really like about this movie is that again like it's just that simple premise like you can put like any race any type of person into this movie and you would still get the message across and I think people in Hollywood need to realize that also the actress uh for Joy Stephanie Sue I uh, I don't know how to say your last name, um, probably butchering it, uh, apologies for that. But uh, this was her first feature film, I believe. And that is insane to me. She was awesome. I actually recognized her though from the original cast of the musical Be More Chill. Um, Cause I had a phase like in 2015, 2016 where I was obsessed with that musical. And to see her go from that to to this oh my god it's amazing um she is incredibly talented uh the way that she just portrayed that like utter despair and depression it really really hit close to home it was so cool like little help the, the little head tilts like oh that was really cool I was like oh my gosh it's not her I I'm obsessed with her <laughs> I love Jobu Takaki. She is my favorite ever. Something I found, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's performance, the fact how willing she was to just commit to the insanity of her character, I thought was really, really fun. Just for an actress of kind of her, not to say Michelle Yeoh or any of them aren't, but of her renown to be as uh, one of the weirder characters in the movie was uh, fun to see as well. And it was like funny to see her that way too, since she's in a lot of like emotional, like drama y stuff. And yeah, just to see her like this, like super, like weird, like wacky character, it was, it was pretty cool. How do y'all think the legacy of this film is going to turn out? Because given that it's currently the highest rated movie on Letterboxd, it's in the top 10 highest rated movies on IMDb, and it's smashing independent box office records it's clearly becoming a very uh, important film for this year and this era of uh, filmmaking. 
Uh, we all obviously think that's warranted, but do you think that the film outside of a current impact will also have a lasting impact? And maybe what do you think that will be? I think it'll have a lasting impact, but not merely in film. I think it may possibly have an impact in science and philosophy. Just based on it, it's not merely a sci-fi movie. It's not merely a comedy. It explains so much and introduces and excludes, but also includes so many new and different ideas or different takes on new ideas that we have never seen before. Someone could actually try to explain all those things. And I think it would go pretty well for the rest of the world. I guess I'm trying to say it's deep. It's deep. And that's amazing. And it'll have to be at least a classic, if not a legendary piece of cinema. Absolutely. I mean, I hope it leaves a lasting impact. Um, I'd love to see more films like this. I, I loved it. So um, I know we were like, for I know we just had the Oscars for the Oscar roundtable, but yeah, I will actually cause a riot if this does not win Best Picture. Because um, I think this it's funny this concept of multiverses and like dimensions and like different universes is really mind-numbing and can be really hard to portray onto film and I think this film does an excellent job again I was prepared to be completely confused the entire time but I was not I was like on track and I was like okay this is what's happening everything is like great everything is everywhere all at once um which is awesome i think this is definitely going to shape how i mean like you know everyone is complimenting um no way home for being like the first like oh like big box like multiverse thing but spider-man into the spider-verse did that too um so i think we're entering into this like you know how like like phases in in movies it's like oh, like the classics and like, oh, like different phases. I think this is going to be a new phase of like multi, like we're going to get a lot more multiverse content, which is really exciting. But it's funny, unless something, because like, I don't think we're going to get anything better than this, you know? Like I really don't know how another multiversal movie could be anywhere near to this, especially since it's independent it's not connected to any like property like Marvel or, or Disney, same thing, um, that it's independent. And one person thought of this entire plot line with, you know, universes and an interdimensional kind of storytelling um, is really cool. And I really hope that people start, pay atten start paying attention to independent filmmakers because like, we can create this. Yeah, I agree with Daisy. I think the one thing that would be better than this is ideas for a sequel. Like, think about this. If there's so many different universes that made it into the final cut, imagine how many were shelved that could still be used in a, in a brilliant and new way. Like, uh, spoiler alert, Jurassic World was going to have human-dinosaur hybrids. And that would have been interesting, but also at the same time, this movie must have so many concepts that didn't make it. I think so many, there could actually be a potential sequel that would include at least a few of those concepts. 
Um, Ormond, I respect that you want like more content, but I think this as just an independent film, like just one, I think is fine. I don't like, I, I think that there are definitely going to be other like multiversal stuff, but I think like for this like canonical universe, like I think there should just be one movie. Well, there's another thing we could do. We could watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse <laughs> of Madness. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> I'm actually kind of dreading seeing that movie now because I am going to see that movie, but I'm like, I'm worried it's not going to live up to this movie. Like, it's not. not Come on, Marvel. It's not. Uh, also, I don't like Marvel that much. Not, not as much as I used to. <laughs> Yeah, the bar the bar is high, and the fact that the bar was set by a, a minority cast really makes me happy. Yeah, minority yeah. cast, a group of like five people, was it? Yeah, for the VFX team. Yeah, it's really amazing to see a story about um, a first generation immigrant and her and her queer daughter, um, and the, and this whole concept of like existentialism and nihilism and nothing matters so choose love anyways it's just a beautiful message and there's so many more beautiful messages packed into this film it's like chock full of them and you've got to see it multiple times to like get all of them that's why I've, I've watched it over and over again I'm like I need to understand this as best I can because it means so much to me oh my gosh Jeremiah that just like pinned something in my brain that I was going to talk about. Thank you for reminding me. That's like the one thing that I was so happy about. Cause I feel like with a bunch of like film, like esque movies, it's just dread. And there's like no like hope or like happiness or like anything to veer positively. And I love, I was really worried that this movie was just going to end with like her going into the, <laughs> into the bagel and just like, you know, it ending and just being like, yeah, life sucks. Like everything sucks. Like <laughs> life is meaningless. And I'm so happy that it didn't do that. It just like, it like, like pinged off and was like, no, like, yeah, everything's meaningless, meaningless, but you still have a choice to love people and to, you know, make, make the best of what you have. I think that because there's a lot of people out there that are just, that just focus on the negative and they're just like, oh, like, my life sucks and like everything sucks. So like might as well just like make it suck for everybody else. It's like, no, like you can be better, be better. I didn't mean to scream. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm very passionate about this movie. I understand. <laughs> um, one of the things I was going to uh, talk about that was kind of off topic that I wanted to mention was that um, one of the Daniels, one of the directors, uh, Daniel Kwan, was talking about like in interviews and stuff, he had talked about how he thought the main character should have undiagnosed ADHD. Um, and he thought that that just made sense for this kind of movie. Um, and he also said that it kind of started off as like an almost insensitive idea of like, oh, a character that's so distractible, she'll go and like um, wander off to different universes kind of thing. Um, but then he really started to do the research for it. And, and he found out, he was like, wait, do I have undiagnosed ADHD? And he did get that diagnosis. Um, and I thought that was really cool because it's not only just Evelyn, it's also Joy. It's both of them, um, both of these characters that are 
neurodivergent and I could see myself in that. Um, and I, I thought that was really amazing. And it, and it made so much sense when I found that out about the characters. I was like, oh my God, yeah, that explains a lot. <laughs> I'd like to close out by saying one of the best twists in the movie. To say that it's a twist is kind of cheesy, but also to say that it's social commentary doesn't work either. Because Zion, as I see it, as I understand it, social commentary is about issues, problems. But the fact is, there is nothing wrong with being attracted to someone of the same sex. And that was shown brilliantly in, in the very beginning when the main character had to say, I love you to Jamie Lee Curtis. And then we were shown a universe where they loved each other. And we were so distracted by the hot dog hands, we didn't realize this is about what well, it felt to me like it was saying, if you're attracted to someone of the same sex, that's not weird at all. That's great. Yeah. The only thing weird about that universe was the hot dog fingers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There was nothing weird about them being attracted to each other. That's a beautiful thing. And more people should be aware of that. Yeah. And, um, when we first um, see Joy, we're also introduced to Becky, her girlfriend, at the same time. And later in the movie, when Evelyn is finally confronting her father, she says, um, I'm no longer willing to do to my daughter what you did to me. And she basically tells him, I'm, I, I don't care what you think anymore. And this is my daughter and her girlfriend. And... It, it's this beautiful moment of acceptance. And I also liked that um, that Joy wasn't happy about that moment. And I think the reason that she wasn't happy was because it was too little too late for her. Um, but we still do get to see them repair their relationship or at least begin to, um, because obviously we don't know what happens after the movie ends, but we do see them start to rebuild that relationship and have that connection again. And, and, uh, and early on when we meet Jobu, uh, the, the version of Joy that's uh, able to experience all of the universes at the same time, when we meet her, <laughs> Evelyn is like, you're the reason my daughter doesn't call me and all this other stuff. You're the reason she thinks she's gay. And, and, and Jobu goes, wait, you're still hung up on the fact that I like girls in this universe? And, then she says, the universe is so much bigger than you imagine. And that's very true. Yeah, I really like that it was just kind of like normalized, like, yeah, gay people are real, you know? <laughs> like, I thought, like, I don't know. And I, and I thought like that, like that specific scene where it was like, oh, you're the reason why my daughter's gay. Like, coming from like a family of like, of minorities there have been so many cases where like my aunts or my or even some of my cousins they'll, they'll be like they'll be like oh like you're gay because of x y and z oh you're gay because you watched um what did someone say i can't remember there was like a tv show where literally like one of my cousins like they are they are transgender and like i love them so much um but like but like my family is trying to be like no like you are like you are not this person and then they're like oh it's because you did this when you were younger oh like you were like this 
So I thought that 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 arc was very beautiful for me too, because it was like, no, like it's, there's nothing on and off switch. Like they just are, and they are just valid. So yeah. Yeah. It was, it was beautifully well done. It, it felt natural, you know? Yeah. I think this whole um, kind of conversation, all the different routes you've gone down really shows how multi-layered the movie is and that there can be so much meaning derived from so much of it in so many different ways and so many different interpretations. And that ultimately it's all really uh, positive is uh, really, really awesome, I think. So does anyone else have any closing thoughts they'd like to get out? I really wanna watch it again. Um, Me too. Cause I, I don't know, I watched it on Thursday and I feel like I, I don't know. I feel like n- now that like Jeremiah and, and, and you are like, like talking a lot more about it, I feel like I need to watch it again so I can catch a lot more stuff. Um, yeah, I really want to watch it again. If it's on streaming services, I'm going to buy it. If it's on DVD, I'm going to buy it. If I had to see it in the theater again, I'm going to see it. It was good. Yeah, I definitely plan on getting it on DVD or Blu-ray uh, once it's available. There were a few parts that I wanted to talk about, like there, like a few quotes I wanted to talk about that really uh, stuck with me. Like when uh, the character, uh, there's a character named Chad, and uh, he's the the chef in the Rakakuni <laughs> in the Rakakuni universe. Um, at at one point, when like Evelyn is like choosing to fight all of these people with love, uh, she's fighting how Waymond fights with love. Uh, he says, I'm useless alone. And she says, we're all useless alone. It's a good thing. You're not alone. Or we're not alone. I don't, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was a really beautiful moment. That hit my feelings. Like I, I love, like, I love very like soft boy energy kind of, <laughs> kind of guys. Like I love them so much. And when, ah, I just loved, I just loved that. Yeah. He was just like fighting with love and it's like, yes, fight with love. Yeah. That whole thing where Waymond is telling Evelyn in the universe where she's like, you know, like a famous actress and um, martial artist. Um, he says, I know you see yourself as a fighter. I see myself as one too. This is how I fight. That also got me. Oh man. <laughs> Literally every part of this movie hits me right in the feelings yeah. box. Like if you have a soft spot for your mom yes. and you watch this movie, you will probably be crying. Hit me um, right in the I feeling box. I cried every single time I watched it. Um, mo- the multiple times I watched it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just, that's another uh, sign of the point I made earlier that every single line in it uh, has some sort of either deeper meaning or deep like emotional resonance. It's just a really tight script that was made into a really tight, well-done movie. And it really got to me. You've been listening to Film Club, a production of Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Kendrick Whiten. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including Alaska State Council on the Arts. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. 
Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And if you are a youth ages 13 to 24 who loves movies and is interested in being a part of our film club, go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join to find out more. Or you can email us at news at You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Madison Kingston. Thanks for listening.